she was born into polygamy. Her family followed the teachings of Joseph Smith, including plural marriage. Like many young girls, she had been promised to a man who was her father's age. But she ran away. She chose hell over a life of polygamy. Hi, and welcome that to this audio edition me. of Polygamy, What Love Is This? I was lost, Hansen. alone, On this program, we discuss desolate. polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism Jesus from a Christ biblical found Christian me. perspective. And we talk about the history me. of polygamy, In his love, its modern-day fruit, I found share real stories freedom. from people who have escaped He is a shield to all who will take refuge in him. To polygamy. This you is why I came back and asked, Polygamy, what love is this? And now, here's Doris. Welcome to Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and we thank you for joining us and our discussion about the Mormonism that, through Joseph Smith, introduced polygamy into the American culture. We have a guest this time who was an active member of the LDS Church for 20 years, but he has come to see the beauty of the simplicity of being a follower of Jesus Christ. He is a practicing dentist in Southern California, and he's an active member of a local Christian church there. He reaches out to Mormons who are transitioning from mere religion into biblical Christianity to help them walk the road that he has already traveled. He has written a book entitled Starting at the finish line, which records his story as he differentiates between the religion of Mormonism and the victory promised uh, of the rest in Jesus Christ through biblical Christianity. So I would like to introduce and welcome our special guest this week. John Wallace. Welcome to our show, John. Thank you, Doris. It's Thank a you for to be coming. Here. It's wonderful. You came all the way from Southern California. And boy, are my to, arms tired. <laughs> you right. flew all by yourself. All huh? by myself, yeah. So we're going to discuss your book tonight, starting at the finish line. And it's a great book for Thank you. anyone who is considering a transition out of the Mormon faith or questioning the Mormon faith, whether they're LDS or from a Mormon polygamy group. Because it's all the same basic foundations. Yeah, indeed it is. So we want our polygamous viewers to realize that although you transitioned out of the mainline LDS church, the same questions and doubts about the faith apply to Mm -hmm. both of them. Their basic Mm -hmm. foundations are the same. So first of all, let's talk about why you wrote your book and where Mm -hmm. can our viewers purchase a copy? Yes, uh, well it's available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com, which I think is BN.com. Um, also, uh, I have a website called startingatfinishline.com. Just remove the the. Mm. Um, and a few local bookstores. I know in Salt Lake City, it's at Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City. Oh, And okay. in Southern California as well. Oh. You know, I, I was raised Baptist originally. And um, when I, uh, my parents converted to Mormonism in 1973. Um, and um, it, it sort of surprises my Christian friends when I tell them that I really liked my you know, childhood and my upbringing in Mormonism, it kept me on the straight and narrow uh, mm-hmm. when I needed it the most. But, and and I, I was a Mormon for 20 years, as you mentioned. And when I left, I, I really didn't have a whole lot to say. I had not yet come to uh, true faith in Jesus Christ. I, I really wasn't anything at all. Once the Bible came alive to me and I understood the gospel of grace, and again, it took many years, we'll get mm-hmm, to that, but mm-hmm. uh, I finally felt like I had something to say. And there was a moment where I... 
God impressed upon me to uh, write about my experience. Although the book really isn't so much about me. I certainly weave in parts of my story. But as you mentioned, it's really more a the the journey out of a religion of of works and obedience mm-hmm. into a what in the Bible it talks about the the freedom in Jesus. I never knew what that meant before. Yeah. To me, freedom was always oh, I'll just do whatever I want, you know. But uh, now I clearly see the difference. And so finally, once it came to that point, I thought I I, I need to reach back to my people. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of LDS people just like me that uh, were obedient. I was a very good Mormon, Doris, mm-hmm. by the way. Uh, but I didn't really truly believe. And, you know, that's basically the way it is with the polygamy groups. They're works-oriented, too. Works, works, works. It's just absolute works and obedience is a big a big deal, uh, the same as it yes. is with well, the LDS. Well, we are here on this earth to prove our Well, it's worthiness. a probationary period, sure, isn't that's it? Right. And that's right. To be tested in all things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I passed the test as well as anybody else I knew, but not as well as I would have liked to. <laughs> Why did you choose the title? Starting at the finish line. Yes. I love it. Well, the working title as I was writing it was just the gospel of grace for Mormons. And I guess it just wasn't grabby enough for me. And I was walking out of a bank one day and it just, it it descended upon me, so to speak. But there's a a quote by a a very popular uh, Christian pastor named John Corson. And he he said that that Christianity is the only religion that starts at the finish line. Mm. We believe that our salvation was purchased for us by Christ on the cross and and that it's done, Mm -hmm. uh, that we are saved. I know that's hard for the Latter-day Saints to sometimes understand understand but but we work from victory we're not striving for victory right so the title was catchy starting at the finish line it, I, I've already gained victory and now and now it. my Christian life begins I love it I and just, so that's and how it came so about. so true um, on page five you mentioned people might wonder why I think I'm qualified to write this book yeah, and I think the answer to that is I was a good Mormon for 20 years. I was the Elders Quorum president uh, in several wards. I served a two-year mission to Argentina, uh, baptized uh, north of 20 people, uh, which was prodigious by early 1980s standards in mm, Argentina, wow. where everyone's Catholic, um, and uh, married in the temple and whatnot. And so um, I, I, my guess is I was probably headed toward maybe the bishopric or you know, state presidency or something of that nature. That was the trajectory anyway. I know what it's like to be a devout Mormon. I am thankful for the fact that I, I, I have held on to this gift of, I still remember what it feels like and what it, what, it, um, what it is like to be LDS. And so I say that because a lot of people that drift away from Mormonism, they're angry. Mm-hmm. They fight back against the church. And, and my, my, my entire world is still very Mormon, Doris. My, mm-hmm. my parents and my siblings and my best friends. And they still think that I'm. I'm. Um, well, they might think that fighting. you're fighting back by doing this. Yeah, it's true. And, but, and in reality, you're not. But they would. Th- that's yeah. where they would take it. In my book, I wrote that I I, I love them with a love that they can't really fully yes. understand. That is. And by the way, I, as I wrote in my introduction, technically, my book is not an indictment or prosecution of Mormonism. It's a defense of the sufficiency, the totality of the blood of Jesus on it that is. cross. It now, is. to the degree that my reader. Uh, upon fully grasping the totality of the cross, then looks back and says, oh, it is an indictment of LDS theology, then so be it. I've mm-hmm. done my job. Well, you have. So let's talk about your, you were you were not born and raised in Mormonism, but your parents were converts. So explain briefly your briefly, age yes. and the circumstances. That yes, raised in the, in, the, in the First Baptist Church of Lakewood. My parents, we'd go to church from time to time, but the Bible was never opened in, in mm-hmm. our home. 
My mother's parents had joined the LDS church back in the late 1950s, and my grandmother had been a chain smoker to us for 40 years. And mm -hmm. so the Mormon missionaries, the Mormon church did for grandma what no one else could do for her or that she could do for herself, and that was quit smoking. My mother was so grateful to the Mormons for that. She was petrified of, of grandma contracting lung cancer. So, But my parents weren't interested in joining the Mormon faith in the late 50s. But you fast forward about 15 years later, 1973, my sister, who was then 13 at the time, came home with, with cigarettes and coat pocket. Mm. And my mother freaked out. And uh, it was a bit of a knee-jerk oh, reaction. Wow. I asked my parents because they started investigating the Mormon church. We need greater structure in this home and we need not be smoking cigarettes and, and whatnot. So um, essentially, I asked my mother in preparation for writing my book because I wanted to get it right. I said, Mom, did, did you and Dad really investigate the truth claims of Mormonism? Did you read the Book of Mormon? Did you? She said, mm, no, not, not really. We, we knew. We yeah. knew we were going to join. Yeah. And so, and so uh, from age 8 to 28, uh, I was a, a good little Mormon boy. Loved it. Uh, it kept me on the straight and narrow when I needed it most. And, okay. uh, but, of course... Mormonism isn't the only one that can keep you on the straight and narrow, which they, uh, as it turns they, out. Would, they would say that that's they are, but they're not. They do on, as good a job as anybody else, I will say that. Except for Christianity. True Christianity. Yeah. After being a Mormon for several years, you said that something was said causing you to begin to question the religion. Um, how old were you when that happened? I think it was God was once a man. That's was, right. What? I was 16 or 17. I was a junior in high school, and as it turns out, my bishop, uh, a beloved friend, t still to this day, he's a wonderful man, uh, was also my high school history teacher. And so after class one day, I approached Bishop Stan and I, I asked him point blank, because I had heard through sort of the Mormon grapevine. Remember, there was no internet in 1982. Right. I said, hey, uh, you know, uh, Bishop, um, hey, I, I heard something wacky, and it, maybe you could just clarify for me. Um, hey, do we, do we believe that God was just once like a regular dude <laughs> that lived on an earth somewhere and he became God? And that, uh, like, I'm supposed to become God someday, too? He said, John, you're too young to be contemplating these things. I, I was a pretty precocious kid. And so. And you were how old? 16, 17. Oh, you're not too old. You're he was uncomfortable. He was uncomfortable. And I just remember, I felt like the air was sucked out of that room because ultimately he, he confessed that, yes, indeed, uh, th that is uh, what we teach. But, and you'll understand later. But I'll tell you, it nauseated me. And I remember uh, just sort of uh, walking away and... I never could grasp that, and it never rang true to me. That was the first shoe to drop. And that's interesting because many people I meet, and we'll talk about this later, uh, love the idea that they'll become a god someday. In your book, you called yourself a square peg in a round hole. Why is that? From that moment forward. From that moment. Up until that moment, I was a, a round peg in a round hole. I loved being Mormon, and I thought we were the only true church, and um, I... I was comfortable. So now, I was you, now you think you're going to be a god, and that made you mm. the square peg. At, at the no point, it, 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 that that doctrine, that doctrine alone, uh, forever changed me. From that moment forward, I was going along to get along, and frankly, I was living a lie because I never believed it. Yet I had to pretend that I believed it. And uh, so that's what I meant by that. And mm -hmm. I think in my book, I said there's not enough DW40 in the uh, WD40 yeah, in yeah, the world that's going to yeah. make that square peg fit and, in. Again. And you know, we uh, from the very beginning in the polygamy group, that's we know that that's our goal is to become a god. I mean, we just know we grow yeah. up knowing that. Interestingly, in all the Latter Day Saints that I dialogue with now, I've only met one person that 
confessed to me that yes, indeed, he is. He looks forward to it, creating his own mm -hmm. world, and to be worshipped as God wow. by his spirit children. Yeah. Everyone else seems to really sort of hedge at that well, moment. They're, they're yeah. kind of um, playing that low on in low gear now, like they, are. they didn't. You used can become to as God, yeah. And yeah, I understand right. the softening of that doctrine, right. but it is right. what it is. And but the it king, is. the that's King right. Follett sermon stands. The last time I checked. Oh, Brigham Young. I mean, yeah. that's all he taught was becoming a God. All right, let's go to page seven. You wrote on something on page seven. I want to quote. And this is what you said, quote, There is really one section in this book that matters, and it happens to be the very next section, which I've entitled, A Defense of the Bible. Let me explain. The eighth article of faith reads, in part, We believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it's translated correctly. Therefore, the way I see it, I have one job and one job only, to convince you that the Bible has been, in fact, translated correctly. Now, that's interesting that your one job and your only job is that. Why is it? Well, because I kept coming up against, the, here was the scenario, almost regardless of who I was speaking to, the, the, the devout Mormon. I would lay out this gorgeous, uh, very coherent argument of how it is that we are. Uh, Ephesians 2, yeah, a prime example. Yeah. For it is by grace you are saved, through faith, and this not of yourself, not by works, so that no man can boast. Or, or Romans 3, Romans 8, Galatians 5, 3, Galatians 5. And when it was all said and done, my LDS counterpart would smile and thank me for the little lesson that I gave. And it was just like in through one year and out the other because I know, mm -hmm. and again, I remember what it felt like to hear those scriptures and say, well, maybe it's translated correctly, maybe it's not. Mm -hmm. Well, if it's not authoritative, then then what have I really done? It, they're just platitudes, you see. And so uh, I, I tell my, my Christian people all the time, you, you technically you cannot win an argument with a devout Mormon by appealing to the Bible alone because eh, it's only yeah. as good as it's translated correctly. That's uh -huh. the ultimate loophole. That's right. So although, of course, we still need to uh, base our dialogue in, in biblical truth, from the Mormon perspective, that, that's why in my book I said, if, if I can just show you by Joseph Smith's own standards, if the Bible is transmitted and translated correctly, then it is the Word of God. Mm -hmm. Once they uh, can understand that it's the Word of God, I, I'd rather have Paul and Peter and John speak for themselves. Then, then they can speak very clearly for that's themselves. Right. Now, the Bible is a big book, okay? So it's a big, thick book. and But, but simpli uh, there's, there's some simplicity, actually, in what the Bible teaches, although it's very complex. There's much simplicity and in coherency. it and in biblical Christianity. So I'm going to ask you to do something you may not be able to do, but I'll bet you can. I like a good challenge. In 25 words or less, oh boy. <laughs> or less, tell us what the Bible's all about from cover to cover. God created a perfect environment and a, a perfect race of human beings, that, and we were supposed to love him and obey him, but it didn't work out that way. Once it didn't work out that way, i.e. Adam and Eve's fall, God then, in his unrelenting love for his creation, for human beings, sent his son to reconcile these fallen creatures back to himself. And there's nothing more that he desires. That's a little more than 25 words, but I think that's the theme that's of the Bible. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Yeah. It is very simple. That's the deal. That's the simplicity of it. And and I, I like to say our gospel, we don't have laws and ordinances of the gospel in all these big, huge books of, of written. Jesus got it no, down to two, didn't he? He, he got it down. Well, <laughs> uh, he died. Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, he was resurrected, and he was seen. That's the gospel. That's the gospel, yeah. And it's the simplicity and, and the, of And that. the mandate of the gospel is love God and love one another. And love each other. It's exactly. like, And we can't even do that very well. I know. <laughs> Let's get those two start. down, then we can branch out <laughs> right. into home teaching. Okay, section two of your book is called A Defense of the Bible. Why should we defend it, especially to the people of Mormonism? Yeah, I think, I think for this very reason, because once... 
once you can establish the, the historicity of the Bible, uh, then the, the gospel is laid out fairly clearly. And I think you would probably uh, agree with this. That for me, when, when I used to read the Bible, A, it was boring. And B, I, I just, I don't know. I don't get it. I, I didn't understand. Uh, yeah. But as soon as my spiritual eyes were opened, and I remember one in particular, I'll use it as an example, in, in the book of Colossians, and I believe it's in chapter 2. Yeah. Uh, it says very plainly that um, the, the, this this all these laws and commandments that were against me mm-hmm. uh, were Jesus nailed them to the cross. Right. And I, I remember I, I thought, has this always been there? Mm-hmm. Or even Romans three. Now, apart from the law, there is a righteousness of God uh, that that uh, is through faith in Christ. Yeah. Who slipped that in there? Yeah. All of a sudden, everything came alive. I go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I see it. And I feel it, and it burns within me. And that <laughs> was does. the gift of God. Okay, let's So go. that's why we defend the Bible. That's why we defend it, because there's, that's where there's, there's salvation. Power. There's, there's definitely power in it. power in that. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, you quote in your book, and I'm going to quote it here. Uh, it says, the grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. Now, this is a defense of the Bible. It was a verse that had a huge, huge impact on me when I was first Mm. transitioning into Christianity. Um, It's the full meaning of God's promise to protect his word. Yeah. Why is this verse so important to the Mormon culture, the polygamous culture? Yeah, right, right. Great question. Because Joseph claimed that over time the word was corrupted. You know, first Nephi says that, that, uh, you know, Satan with his workers came in and corrupted the Bible to the point where there are so many precious truths removed from it that how do you ever really know? And mm-hmm. it leads people astray to hell. So therefore, I mean, the way I look at it, you're telling me that this amazing God created this world or as Joseph said, organized this world. Still, that's quite a task, but he cannot safeguard his own holy writ. He, he can't uh, seem to manage that. And that's why I love that quote. Yes. And Jesus reiterates yes. it. Yes, It's a promise forever. It's a promise, yeah. And it's forever is a long time. So not only believing the Bible is contaminated, but repeating that lie to yourself and to others, even though you may not know a lie, is it, that it is a lie, is devastating and produces huge eternal consequences. Indeed, it creates a vacuum of authority into which Joseph Smith gladly inserted himself, not only by his own ministry as a prophet of God, but his ability then to introduce new scripture. Better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, let's face yeah, it. The Bible, the Bible's the ugly kid sister. You know, <laughs> the Book of Mormon is the most perfect book on earth. Yet, in the early publishing of the Book of Mormon, the, uh, it had written in the Book of Mormon that the Bible contains the fullness of the everlasting <laughs> yeah. gospel. Yes, and notice Whatever how, happened to that? Sure, in 2013, the LDS Church very uh, sort of surreptitiously removed that very phrase. It no longer says, it says, it's, it's scripture containing the full... Um, uh, the fullness of the gospel, but it no longer says, as does the Bible. As now it's the Bible. just the Book of Mormon. No, but then our Mormon. question would be, well, then why doesn't the Book of Mormon include temple marriage and mm-hmm. Melchizedek priesthood and uh, all those things? And all the things that are supposed to, to be part the of the new and the, everlasting covenant. That's pretty exactly. central, isn't it, to the fullness of the LDS gospel? Now, since the Bible is supposed to be uh, corrupted, have you ever wondered or did you wonder why uh, some of the LDS polygamous prophets or the polygamous prophets hasn't gone through the Bible and made all those corrections and then let the whole world know? Isn't that yeah. what prophets do? Yeah, no doubt. That's another great question, Doris. And, you know, of course, we have the inspired version. Joseph Smith says... But they don't and, use it. I know they don't because they can't <laughs> afford to because the fact of the matter is Ephesians 2 stands as is. We are saved by grace through faith and this not of yourselves. And and Romans 3, for the most part, remains. Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in. For what the law could not do, 
Weak as it was through the flesh, God did by sending his own son. It, it remains it in remains. the Joseph Smith inspired version. It does. Indeed. All those so, good ones. so therefore, although in 1835, Joseph Smith says, I did it. I completed it. Done deal. It's corrected. They don't want to use it because they, and they know why. It is, it is antithetical to modern uh, LDS uh, doctrine. Uh, and, and I don't know how you could argue yeah. against that. Yeah. Right. Well, on page 16, you asked the question, quote, is the Bible the word of God or an instrument of Satan? End quote. Which is it, and how do you yeah, prove your answer? Make up your mind. Yeah, make, make up your I, mind. See, now that I'm, I'm deeply in, I, you know, I love God, and I love God's Word, and I, I will defend the Bible. And I, I, not that I need to defend it. It defends itself, goodness gracious, with all the prophecies and archaeological evidence. I know we'll get to that. But um, how do you have a book that you consider to have been truncated and perverted and all the precious truths removed, or a lot of them removed, so as to be an instrument in the hands of Satan, and yet... You turn right around and canonize at least the King James version of the mm-hmm, Bible mm-hmm. and have it as one of your four standard yeah, works. Good question. Wow. I mean, who else does that? You name me one other religion that says, don't trust this, but it's canonized. But scripture. it's part of our scripture. Make up your mind. So I, in my book, I said, look, either either admit that it's the Word of God or chuck it once and uh, for once all. Once and for all. Yeah. There's no in between. There's no middle ground. How can Absolutely there be? not. Okay, Christians are called to defend our faith in every aspect of it, which includes why we can and should trust the Bible. And you've done an excellent job in chapter 3 about the New Testament. Give us a few good reasons why the New Testament is reliable and is not corrupted. Well, I can give you 25,000 reasons. Okay. We, we have over 25,000 ancient manuscripts in the Greek, in the in the Latin, in uh, eight or nine other languages that correlate perfectly well. Mm-hmm. We, In fact, uh, interestingly, and, and you may already know this, but even if we didn't have any manuscripts, do you know that if you go back through the early writings of the early church fathers, Justin Martyr and Irenaeus and, 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 and Tertullian, because they quote the New Testament so frequently, and, and because they all correspond with one another, you can you can reverse engineer the mm-hmm. New Testament by their writings alone. Isn't that fascinating? Yes, you can. But the fact is, and we have early manu- the John Ryland's manuscript goes back to anywhere from 90 to 120 A.D., and that's you know, a good portion of the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. That's early. I think early, there's early. only... 10 words or something like that, very close to that, of the entire New Testament that hasn't been written uh, in other areas yeah. through the history as time has gone I, I make the point, I know you know this, but I would want our viewers to understand that the, the, the next uh, closest, I guess, a work of antiquity that we still teach all over the world in every university in the world is, um, is Homer's uh, uh, Iliad. Mm-hmm. And there are only 643 remaining fragments or, or copies of that original work. And, and yet, no one hesitates when they teach that. That's yeah. right. Okay, we're getting, we're going to be winding down here for just a minute, okay. but I want to quote something that you've uh, written on page 21, and I quote, I need to ask my LDS reader one question. Did you arrive at the conclusions that the Bible is unreliable as a historical text because it has trans- translational errors after looking at the text itself and all the corroborating evidence? Or have you come to the biblical text with a presupposition? Have you held to the belief that the Bible is inaccurate because you've been told that? 
Or have you looked at all the evidence and weighed it out for yourself? And the reason I ask that, Doris, is because I, I, I consider myself to be a fairly educated man. I have the equivalent, I have a doctorate degree. I never looked at those claims. I just just received it over and over Mm -hmm. again. The Bible is untrustworthy. I never researched it. And I don't know anybody that ever researched it. I just repeated what I'd heard and what I'd been told, and I never knew it for myself. Even really, really smart. I'm not saying that I am, but there are some really smart Mormons, and they they don't look at these claims because it's uncomfortable. They might actually discover something that's untoward. Yes, um, absolutely. And uncomfortable for them. Okay, very quickly, what about the Old Testament? Why can we trust it? Yeah, well, uh, three words uh, or four. The Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, (laughs) and they're they're so... Do you know they've discovered the ancient city of Jericho? The walls indeed fell outward. Goodness gracious. I mean, there really is an ancient world in the Holy Land. I mean, Jerusalem really still sits They've there. They've got all of the archaeological evidence. The, the, all of the archaeological uh, archaeological evidence. And you know, the, the, the archaeological evidence does not prove that the Bible is true. We believe that it is. We take much of that on faith. Although some of it doesn't even require faith, such as fulfilled There's prophecy. There's plenty of evidence. You better believe prophecy it. Is a but it situates people, places, and things at the right time, at exactly the right moment, in the right place, mm-hmm. to where the then biblical narrative is not only plausible, but highly likely, such mm-hmm. as the story of Jericho, for example. Right. But the Dead Sea Scrolls, once and for all, because the oldest manuscript we had was 800, I think, AD, the Masoretic text, um, compared to the King James Version of the Old Testament. But now we have, through the Dead Sea Scrolls, manuscripts from a couple hundred years BC, and they all match perfectly well. Therefore, my question, I think it's one of my better questions in my book, if I uh, can say, when exactly does Joseph Smith propose that all of the precious truths were removed from from the Bible? It it doesn't make any sense. And there's no no ground to stand on there at all. And you know, we were taught uh, growing up that it was the Catholics who did it. Yeah, that but, they but the Dead Sea Scrolls them. obliterates right. that whole argument. Mm-hmm. So yeah. from 1947 forward, it's a whole new world, and it does not bode well. And even even the Book of Isaiah, which much of which was lifted and placed into the Book of Mormon, it doesn't match at all. And Sidney Sperry, a professor from BYU in 1963, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, I, I know you're excited, guys, LDS people, about the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, but I just kind of want to prepare you that it may not really bode well for our theology <laughs> because the Book of Isaiah does not match the Book of Mormon version of it. It right, pretty much right. matches the Hebrew version. And, and I read uh, in the Tribune, in the Salt Lake Tribune years ago, I think it was the early 90s, I wish I had clipped a, uh, the article, but I didn't, that it said, through the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have discovered the Bible is more accurate than we first imagined. Oh, I, gee, wow. And I thought, boy, that that is that tells the story right in itself. Yeah. And of course, they're the only religion, cr- Christian religion that ever imagined the Bible to be anything but accurate. Well, but again, I, I do believe, my, in my opinion, Joseph Smith was working backwards and needed a needed authority. And what better way than to sort of cut off at the knees the true authority of God mm-hmm. to do that? He had to do that. Okay, um, chapter 5. We're not going to be able to finish chapter 5 before, but then we'll pick it up next time. But you begin a great defense of grace versus works. And that's a controversy in in the Mormon polygamist uh, culture. You discuss legalism and righteousness, and you've entitled the chapter, I Am Undone, mm-hmm. using the Bible verse Romans 3.23 mm-hmm. that says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, indeed. And Isaiah, he gets one glimpse of God's glory. He goes, I am I'm, I'm undone. I'm undone. I thought I was a hot shot, and apparently yeah. I'm not. Yeah. yeah. Well, he, at that point, he recognizes how what a sinner is in comparison to a holy God. That's right. And I don't think that most people really know how to 
And I think ultimately it stemmed from, from an LDS standpoint, if we're, we're already children of God. We, we are they spirit children are, from yeah. a pre-mortal <laughs> existence. We're already in good standing. Well, how do you explain the New Testament verses that talk about being adopted into the family of God? Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll pick that up uh, mm-hmm. later. No. But, uh, and, and being adopted. And, and you wrote correctly on, on page 42, the dilemma is this, God is holy, but we are not. No. And that's, uh, that is exactly where we're at. They we're not holy and we're not going that. to be. Yeah. This side of the veil. Well, no, not holy the way God is holy. Certainly mm-hmm. not. Um, okay, so I want to thank you, uh, John, for coming. We we are winding down. We're going to pick this up next time, though, and because we're going to go through the book. We want to talk about all of it. And so uh, we hope our viewers will want to tune in for the next one that we're going to talk about uh, the rest of your book starting at the finish line. So thanks for being here. Um, we will pick up where we left off here, uh, talking about grace and works. So during this next week, we pray that God will bless you where you need it the very most. And we hope to see you next time as we discuss starting at the finish line with John Wallace. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of the Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.